0: Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're just joining us this fall, we have been in the middle of a series through 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And we are entering the second chapter of the second letter. I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of page 1059, 1060. If you don't have a Bible, you can look for it in the blue one um, in the pew in front of you. Last week, in chapter 1, the second half of chapter 1, Paul actually returned to a topic that he had addressed in his first letter to the Thessalonians. What we would call the day of the Lord, or the return of Jesus Christ. The coming of the Messiah. And chapter 1 really didn't tell us anything that Paul didn't already tell the Thessalonians in his first letter. It was by way of reminder that when Jesus returns, God is going to mete out fair justice. Everyone is going to get what they deserve. And Jesus will finally be beheld in all of his glory by those who have been waiting for him. And the good news for us is that we even will be glorified in Jesus Christ when he returns. But what we begin to realize in chapter 2 is that Paul isn't just reminding the Thessalonians for the sake of reminding, but it seems that there's been some outside influence that either has already brought confusion into the church or is threatening to do so. It appears from verses 1 and 2, as we will see, that some of the Thessalonians are afraid that they have been, quote-unquote, left behind. Left behind. In some ways, those two words sum up what it meant for me to grow up as a teenage millennial in youth group, in a Southern Baptist church uh, around the time of Y2K. You guys, you adults, know what I'm talking about. Y2K, year 2000. Everyone thought all the computers were going to explode, and we were going to go back to some kind of barter system, and it was going to be mayhem and chaos. And the thinking was in the church, well. Maybe this is, you know, the time of the tribulation or whatever revelation is coming at Y2K. Like Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be this rapture. And everyone, you know, was just feeding in in Christian subculture in those days to this idea that we were living in the end times. And there was a book series that came out, the Left Behind series, started coming out in 1995 and all the way through 2000. So all these things are floating around, and you're hearing lessons in youth group about the end times and the rapture and all of this. Well, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins, the author of the Left Behind series, really found a way to best-selling series, and it was to tap into this fear that really we're going to see has been lurking just below the surface in God's church since the beginning, the fear of being Left behind? What if I'm not actually a Christian and I think that I am? Is it possible that I might miss the return of Jesus Christ? What if the day of the Lord has already happened and I didn't even see it or recognize it or hear about it? What if I get left behind? And so this morning, uh, if you've ever experienced that fear in your heart, or you've had these wanderings or wrestlings in your own heart and mind, the good news is the Spirit is going to work through Paul's words this morning, I pray, to help us let go of falsehood and hold on to the truth. Let's stand together as we read 2 Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not, did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You may be seated. Well, I did something very unwise this week. I would not recommend it. I googled... What if I miss the rapture? Uh, And just for those who maybe aren't familiar with this whole left-behind interpretation of the book of Revelation, what I'm talking about is this whole idea that really was strongly purported by the Left Behind series, but really just by teachers of end times teachers the past 50 years, this idea that there's going to be a secret first coming of Jesus where all the Christians are going to be taken out of this world, and then the world is going to be left Christianless, and it's going to go to pandemonium and chaos until the second coming of Jesus, where then he destroys all of his enemies and we live with him forever. That first coming of Jesus, where all the Christians are taken up to heaven, is called the rapture, a word that is not in the Bible but is very famous among end times preaching. And so the the thinking is that those who are left behind are those maybe pretend Christians who weren't sincere in their faith. All of their friends disappear one day, and they all look around at each other and realize, oh shoot, we've been left behind. And so, as I said, I made the unwise choice of Googling this question, what if I miss the rapture? Some good news, I saw that Benny Hinn, the TV preacher, has a sermon online. If you're willing to pay $8, you can find out. I was not willing to pay, so I guess I'll be in the dark on that one. Uh, But I did find one of the top results was a 2017 article on Charisma News by Dr. Dave Williams titled, What to do if you miss the rapture? Seems on topic. It begins, if you're reading this after the rapture has occurred, because you weren't ready. All right, this is, he's going to give me some, some pieces of advice, and in fact, he enumerates 20 pieces of advice in the event that maybe you are Googling, oh no, I missed the rapture, and you land on his page. And I'm not going to read the whole list, but here are some highlights. Number one, he says, do not believe any of the explanations made in the secular media. Secondly, he says, get rid of your cell phone. And you know, that may be good advice even before you miss the rapture. He, he, he advises throwing it into a river or a lake. So, you know, maybe, maybe think about that. Number three, do not kill yourself. I think, again, good advice whether you've missed the rapture or not. Pretty good advice. Repent immediately and get a printed Bible. I will say that's, that's good advice no matter where you find yourself. Um, he says, leave your home. Get away from big cities. Don't go to church, because if you think about the logic of it, if the pastor's left behind, then he must not be a Christian either. So why would you want to go hear his false preaching? Now, this is pretty good logic. Okay, um, Get a small, self-powered radio, a hand-crank one if possible. I'm just giving you some advice. Okay, um, Leave copies of this list everywhere you go. That's pretty good. Yeah, so print out copies of this list and leave it sort of like, well, see, that doesn't make sense, because then the, the Antichrist could follow, like breadcrumbs, all of the lists, and he might be able to find you. So I don't know whether I'd take that advice. Um, one thing he says, refuse to take any mark, name, number, or chip in your right hand or forehead, quote, once you get it, you will belong to Satan forever. So don't do that, folks. So good advice in the event that you get left behind. And we're kind of making light of this, but chances are, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may have encountered some teaching in this vein about the rapture. And the, the truth of the matter is that this feeling, this angst, this fear that may be somehow I will miss the return of Jesus and be left behind is not a new fear. In fact, it's something that Paul seems to think the Thessalonians themselves are wrestling with. Paul, He felt compelled to write in verses 1 and 2, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together with him. He's talking about this event that he wrote about in the first letter, right, where he says the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will be caught up in the air to meet with him. Concerning that event, brothers and sisters... Do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone lean on you and make you feel afraid as a Christian that somehow you're going to miss the return of Jesus. In these first 12 verses of chapter 2, Paul addresses three questions or fears that may arise in our hearts and the way that we address these questions is with a simple command. The first question apparently that the Thessalonians are wrestling with is this idea what if I miss the rapture? What if Jesus comes back and I miss him? And Paul addresses this fear that you may be wrestling with in your heart with a very simple command, and it's this. Do not be easily shaken. Look at verse 2. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. So you're wrestling with this question, what if I miss the rapture? Paul says, you can't, you haven't, and you won't. And don't let anyone convince you otherwise. Paul has already explained all of this in his first letter. What the Thessalonians need, and what you and I need, is not for Paul to give us something new. It's for him to simply say, go read my first letter, and don't be shaken from what I told you in my first letter. Let's turn back there, just quickly, just a couple of pages back, if you have your Bible open, to 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be always with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. And so in chapter 2 of his second letter, Paul says, do not be easily shaken from these words. The ones you're supposed to be, every time you get together, encouraging yourselves with no we don't know when Jesus will return but we know when he returns we will all know it and why is that because Paul makes it very plain when Jesus comes back the sound and appearance of his coming is going to be like a bull in a china shop it's going to be like the blue angels flying over a NASCAR race it's going to be like a toddler when you shush him right A cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, the loudest thing possibly imaginable. No one in all of the universe will miss the return of Jesus Christ, believer, non believer, alike. We will all behold him. When the Jesus who was hung on a cross and put in the ground, when the Jesus who was raised from the dead and exalted, to the highest throne, returns in his glory. On that day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess on that day that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what's going to happen. So any sermon or novel or preacher or supposed Christian teacher or resource that maybe has begun to make you afraid as you look forward to the return of Jesus Christ or to your being gathered with him, if there is anything out there that is making you feel anything other than encouraged when you look forward to that day, push it aside. As false, as an attempt of Satan to rob you of your hope, Paul says, don't be easily shaken. The Apostle John encourages us in his epistle, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This explains exactly why Satan wants to shake us with regards to this future hope. If Satan can rob us of our hope, he can rob us of our holiness because it's our hope for tomorrow that motivates us to holiness today. Our battle against sin today depends on our unshakable belief that Jesus is going to return and when he comes, we're going to see him and we're going to be with him forever and ever. So let's put those fears aside about being left behind or about missing the day of Jesus when he returns. Instead, let us fill our hearts and our minds with the battle for today in our fight against sin and our fight for holiness and purity. Do not be easily shaken about tomorrow so that you can fight with boldness and courage for holiness and purity today. Well, as we move into verse 3. Paul begins to speak about a sort of cryptic figure, someone that he calls the son, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. Verse three, look at it with me together. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This addresses another angsty question that some of us probably wrestle with occasionally, which is who is the Antichrist? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be a president of the United States? Is it going to be a European leader? Is it going to be a charismatic religious leader, perhaps? And There's been a lot of speculation as to the identity of this Man of lawlessness, son of destruction. Maybe you've heard the term the Antichrist, um, which that word Antichrist is only used by John in 1 John. Uh, but this figure, down through history, some people speculated maybe it was a Roman name, Antiochus Epiphanes. Do you know what Epiphanes means? God manifest. He actually labeled himself that. So hey proclaiming himself to be God, right? That's what Paul says. And this man actually deceived the Jews into receiving a false treaty with them, and then he went back on that treaty, attacked Jerusalem, went into the temple, sacrificed pigs in there, set up a citadel of Roman power, and sat down in the temple and proclaimed himself to be God. Fits the bill. Only problem is he died in 164 B.C., which is 200 years before Paul wrote this letter. We almost had him nailed. Well, then some people speculated maybe it was a guy named Titus Flavius who came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 AD, which was, you know, 20 years after this letter was written. He and his men went in and butchered thousands of Jews on the temple steps and inside of the temple. But the details of his story don't really match up. Then the reformers came along and they said, well, what about the pope? In those days, Pope John Twenty Second actually had people address him as our Lord God, the Pope. Again, there it is, proclaiming himself to be God. And in fact, inside the temple of God, the church, he had a seat that he sat on, which was a throne. Sounding very similar, it's right, to what Paul is saying here about this man of lawlessness. And in those days, the popes were extremely sinful and did encourage God's people to go down a road of lawlessness. So maybe it's the pope. Well, here's the thing. As fun as it is to speculate about who this man of lawlessness is, it's completely besides the point of why Paul wrote this letter. The point of verses 3 through 8 is not for us to be able to predict the future. The point of verses 3 through 8 is the very first statement in verse 3 that we so happily skipped over. Look at verse 3 again with me. Let no one deceive you in any way. That's the point. So we had this fear. Am I going to be left behind? And Paul directly addresses it by saying, do not be so easily shaken. And then we have this angsty second fear of, well, who is the Antichrist going to be? And Paul says, don't worry about that. Do not be deceived. And if you're pursuing that, You'll be just fine. Who is the Antichrist? We don't know. And we may not ever know until Jesus comes back and snuffs that person out with the breath of his mouth. What we can know about verses 3 through 12 is that they are not to make things more cloudy when it comes to looking at the return of Jesus Christ. So if these verses are somehow clouding your mind as to the clarity that Jesus is coming back All of his enemies will be squashed. We will go to be with him forever. If if these verses cloud that for you, then you're not reading them properly. It would be foolish for Paul in saying don't be quickly shaken to then write a bunch of verses that make us feel really shaken about how we understand the return of Jesus. So that's not the point. And I I must admit that when I read this, I'm kind of like, huh? I I can't iron out all these details. And I think that when we look back and we see people saying, well, maybe the Antichrist is the Pope, and maybe this person is that, and we say, well, that's so quaint. Well, we're doing the exact same thing whenever we try to speculate about who that person may be today. Rather than trying to predict the future, may we be certain and not be deceived about these things. Jesus hasn't come back yet, he is coming. And we, brothers and sisters, will one day be with him forever. Do not be deceived. Now, we may not know who the Antichrist is or will be, but we do know certainly what he will do. And his effort is bent on deceiving us. Look at verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That's the deception of all deceptions, if you can convince the world's population that you, in fact, are God. He exalts himself. He opposes every religious practice, every deity. He takes his own seat of religious power, and he expects the world to bow down and worship him. Well, Christian, uh, I don't think whether a person claims to be the Antichrist or not, anyone who proclaims himself to be God, I can say it's a pretty sure bet that they're trying to deceive you. You don't have to worry about whether they are the Antichrist or not. What you need to know is you shouldn't trust them. A preacher, a teacher, a politician, a celebrity, anyone who wants to be worshipped who says things like, I alone can save you. I alone can save this country or whatever. Who wants your full, undivided religious allegiance? Don't be deceived by them. They're not who they say they are. The interesting thing Paul points out in verse 7 is, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. This isn't something that suddenly is going to come on the scene in the last seven years of this world's existence. This is something that has been happening even in the days that Paul wrote this letter 2,000 years ago. The mystery of lawlessness is at work, Paul says. It's a spirit, it's a deception that is insidiously putting roots down into the reality we live and breathe every day something that's been at work since the dawn of creation. It's a lie that begins did God really say and ends with you will not surely die. People have been deceived into breaking the law of God ever since Adam and Eve listened to the serpent in the garden. So brothers and sisters Paul encourages us that voice that is still so charming today that encourages your heart to throw off all restraints. Just be you. Don't let God or anyone else tell you who you really are. It's the mystery of lawlessness that comforts us in our sin. I wonder what voices you hear in your life when you know you're feeling guilty and shameful that come in and try to make you say, you know what, that's not something to worry about. You're just fine. What are you getting all worked up about? God says this is wrong. That's okay. You're perfectly fine. Look at you. Everyone else is wrong, and you are right. John writes, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then listen to what he says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Do you realize that the culture around us, the world encourages us to embody the very thing that is antichrist? I'm right, everyone else is wrong. I am a God. You go into that temple and you take your rightful seat. You deserve it. You're a king. Friends, do not be deceived. We know the truth. We know how this story ends. Jesus wins. And every power and authority and antichrist and whoever who establishes themselves as God and tries to sit on a throne will be we blown away when. I love verse 8. I love verse 8. It's, it's really, seriously, one of the most hilarious verses in the Bible. Let me read to you again verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearing, appearance of his coming. So the story of salvation history is going to be this. Satan is scheming and plotting and waiting for centuries, generations, for ages for just the right moment to strike his fatal blow at jesus christ and his kingdom and at that very moment when he has planned and orchestrated and all the conditions are exactly right for him to swing all of history his way and his lawless man steps onto the scene jesus comes down from heaven breathes one breath onto him he dies the end that's how things are going to pan out all of satan's efforts frustrated with one word of Jesus' mouth. He's just going to see Jesus and fall dead. The end. So what we need to do is not try to work to prevent the rise of the Antichrist or be afraid of being led astray by the Antichrist. No, what you and I need to be concerned with in the meantime is that I myself do not become Antichrist Do not be deceived. Every person who buys into this spirit of lawlessness, who listens to the flatteries of this world, who believes himself to be God, who wants to sit on a throne and direct the world and make the the rules and refuse to bow the knee to Jesus, will be destroyed on that day by the breath of his mouth. So let us fall before his throne and plead today for mercy and trust that the reason Jesus came and died and was raised so that he could extend forgiveness and mercy to us who believe. Brothers and sisters, do not be deceived. Instead, we find thirdly that we must believe the truth. This is Paul's third and final point. Look with me at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Paul explains very plainly why are people perishing Why are they being condemned? Verse verse 10, he says, because they refused to love the truth. And so be saved. Verse 12, because they did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. As we wrestle with these uncertainties about the last days, maybe you wonder, but what if I am deceived? You know, what if I accidentally elect the Antichrist as president of the United States? What if I'm deceived? Paul says you have nothing to fear if you simply believe the truth. Believe the truth and you won't be led astray by what is false. Did you notice how the coming of the lawless one is by the work of Satan and by the work of God? How does that work? Look at verse nine. Verse nine it says, "And the lawless one, uh, the coming of the lawless one, is by the activity of Satan." But then verse eleven says, "Therefore God sends them a strong delusion." The same word that's used there is God's activity and Satan's activity. How is this the case? What this shows us is that Satan's last great valiant effort to unravel the kingdom of God will only work to fulfill the will of God completely. Satan's last effort to overthrow the exalted Christ and to establish himself as the king of the world, in doing that, Satan can only perfectly accomplish the will of God and bring about his own eternal destruction. God is sovereign even over Satan and whatever lawless one he may try To raise up against Jesus Christ. Now brothers and sisters. Does God the Father. Ever lead his children. Into falsehood and deception. Never. Never. Not even once. So what do we have to be afraid of? Believe the truth. Paul really knows how to get down to brass tacks. And when Paul boils everything down, he says, listen, if you are a human being, a man, woman, child, old, young, I don't care who you are, human existence boils down to this word, belief. Either you believe what is false or you believe the truth. And there is no in-between. There is no staying on the sideline or riding the pine on this question. Either you are believing what is false, or you believe the truth. You have to make a choice. Will you believe what you want to believe, what the culture wants you to believe, what your friends tell you to believe? What CNN or Fox News or some podcaster or social media personality or YouTuber or celebrity or athlete tells you you ought to believe? Or will you believe the truth? What we have heard in the 12 verses of the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians are truer words than any other words you will hear. The next six days before we gather together again. This is the truth. Will you choose to believe it? The world tells you and I that what we want more than anything is for God just to leave us alone. If God would just stay out of my business and let me live my life, I could finally be happy. If people would just stop telling me what to do stop making me feel bad, I would be happy. This morning, Paul shows us, though, friend, the absolute worst thing God could do is let you have exactly what you want. Because what you want is to fall head over heels into the lies of this world, that sex will satisfy, that you are the most important, that achievement or popularity or money or success will make you happy eternally happy, and that there is no one in heaven and on earth who can judge your life. The most absolutely fearful thing God could do is to give you over to those desires because to be given over to that is to be given over to what is false. To plunge headlong into a lie and to become a possession of Satan for. So who is your real friend? The one who flatters you and never tells you the truth? The one who always tells you what you want to hear? Who encourages you? Yeah, go indulge in the pleasures of unrighteousness. That's what you should do. And I'm going to celebrate you all along the way. Can you really trust a voice that isn't willing to confront you ever? Because that's the way the world works. Praise the Lord that God loves us too much not to confront us in our sin. It's his mercy that tells us the truth about ourselves, that shows us our shame, that confronts us and makes us feel guilty. It's his gracious truth in his word that does not flinch to show us and hold up a mirror so that we see ourselves for who we really are apart from God. The truth. And calls us what we really are lawless sinners. But, friends, when we believe the truth, we come to know that the Jesus who comes to destroy every falsehood and work of deception on the last day is the same Jesus who has come already and has died in our place so that we can walk out of the falsehood and the darkness and into the light of his truth. We can become those who love the Bible for showing us our sin because then it gives us the opportunity to throw ourselves afresh on the mercy and forgiveness of our Savior Jesus and to know and not be shaken and to believe that he's coming for us one day. Brothers and sisters, do not be easily shaken. Do not be deceived. Only believe. Believe the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we don't understand all of these things on this side, but one day it will all be abundantly clear and you will be proved to have kept every truthful promise you have made to us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that in the meantime we would not be shaken, we would not be deceived, but that we would simply believe in your truth and trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.